Before we begin, please note that none of the information in this episode constitutes a recommendation, solicitation, or offer by Galaxy Digital or its affiliates to buy or sell any securities. Hello, and welcome back to Future Proof. Thanks for being with us today. As always, we're talking about digital assets for the modern financial advisor. Today, our topic is what Wall Street gets wrong about Bitcoin. I'm Jonathan Bronstein with Financial Advisor IQ, and as always, we are brought to you by Galaxy Fund Management. Now, before we get started, a quick reminder to our audience, today marks the ninth episode of this series. You can listen to all of our past episodes anytime you want. You can find them on Financial Advisor IQ or on your favorite podcast player, Apple, Stitcher, Acast, Spotify, just to name a few. So search for Future Proof and those will come up. And if you do listen to our podcast, please, of course, do leave us a rating. All right, now on to the business at hand. There are myths and untruths out there about Bitcoin. You hear them from your clients and you hear them from Wall Street execs who should presumably know better. Today, we're going to clear them up and arm you, our listeners, with information that you need. So to help us do that, we are joined today by Paul Capelli. He is a portfolio manager for Galaxy Digital. Paul, welcome back. Hey, John. Thanks very much. Okay, so let's get to it. We've got 20 minutes on the clock. Paul, let's start off with with the basic question of all of them. Um, Why do you think there are so many misconceptions about Bitcoin? Yeah, you know, it's an interesting question. I think early on in its life cycle, Bitcoin uh, was the subject of a lot of sensationalized headlines, right? You saw, uh, you know, things like Silk Road. You saw things like the dark web and hacking and, and you know, money laundering uh, being conducted in Bitcoin, right? And, you know, for a time that really did probably define Bitcoin, but that's just not true anymore, right? Bitcoin has come a long way. It has entered the mainstream. There are tons of policies and procedures around it. There are a lot of uh, mainstream players uh, out there that are uh, regulating the market and they're being regulated. So, you know, early on in Bitcoin's life cycle, uh, you know, the the news headlines were, were really there to get clicks and, and sensationalize um, Bitcoin's existence. Um, but, but as it has progressed, right, to become much more of a mainstream asset. It has kind of shed those uh, misconceptions. And that really is kind of in the past. Do you think that the problem is that the old guard, for lack of a better name, finds Bitcoin threatening? Or do you think it's really just a matter of what 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 are the headlines? What, what are the comments that are going to get the most notice? Well, I think everybody likes the juicy headlines about, you know, uh, the dark web and hacks and and things of that nature, right? Nobody really wants to talk about things like inflation hedges, right? Or uh, non-sovereign assets or the fact that, you know, traditional money uh, you can hold in your hand or the, the concept of stocks, which are now really based on the internet. But, you know, at one time our stock certificate um, are, are different than this digital asset that was born out of code and the internet and solving the double spend theory and, you know, uh, money without borders, right? So I think when you, when you really look at what Bitcoin has done, right, the, the good parts of it aren't really that sexy, 
But if you look at, uh, you know, the, the headlines that you could have around, you know, Silk Road and internet hacking and things of that nature, that's what people end up seeing, right? Because you don't really see that um, in, in traditional assets, but that you don't really see that in Bitcoin anymore today. Right. You only saw that really in early in its life cycle. Right. Well, the good news is that uh, this, uh, this webcast and this podcast series that, that people are attending, as they know, we're interested in, in those so-called non-sexy, boring things, because that's actually what, what helps advisors and helps their clients. So <laughs> on that, to, to that extent, um, there, Bitcoin has investors who see it as, you know, a, a, a modern gold alternative, you know, hedging against fiat currency, hedging against the central banks, but then there's also investors who look at it and say, well, wow, look at this curve over the past 11 years. You know, this is my ticket to an early retirement. So I guess the question is, which is it? I mean, can, can it be both a hedge and a mega growth asset at the same time? The answer is yes. I, I think in this case, uh, two things can be true. Right. And you could say to yourself, you know, what traditional asset is thought to be an inflation hedge right now? And that that is gold. Right. And, you know, this year, gold has had a run up of 25 percent, roughly. Right. So in many ways, you're seeing that, um, you know, kind of an old, boring, uh, clunky asset can certainly serve as, uh, you know, a growth uh, piece of your portfolio. Now, people don't buy gold because they believe it's going to be a growth asset, but more of a you know, flight to quality or safety or inflation hedge um, in their portfolio. Bitcoin, by its very nature, is deflationary, right? It, the, the supply curve uh, is defined. We know how much is going to be produced. We know how much there will always ever will be in the, in the uh, term of the fact there'll be 21 million Bitcoin. Um, but we also know other great things about it, right? It's digital. It's easy to store. It's easy to transport. It is a non-sovereign uh, asset not controlled by any one group of people or person or organization. Um, and it exists, obviously, um, digitally. It is the most widely distributed asset um, and network um, in the world right now. Um, but, you know, right now, if we look at what's happening in the market um, from a uh, inflation standpoint, right, there, we're, we're seeing that the, you know, government of the U.S. and, and many other uh, governments around the world are in a money printing phase, Right. They are very committed uh, to inflation and Bitcoin, by its very nature, uh, is deflationary. So that serves kind of a purpose in your portfolio. Now, if we turn and we look at the growth, right, Bitcoin has only been around for 10 plus years. It has grown primarily out of the you know, corners of you know, cyberpunks and, and people against government um, really started to come mainstream into the, the retail uh, part of uh, investors. Now we're seeing it move to some more, you know, high net worth and, you know, some institutional participation, but not much. And what it really comes down to is supply and demand. And right now, uh, you know, the supply is defined, but we're not really seeing, uh, you know, the, the demand from those large pools of capital uh, come in in a way that has really changed the game yet. Right. But we know from our conversations uh, we know from where the market um, is going in terms of worrying about inflation. Um, and we're moving into a more uh, digital society from analog that that Bitcoin is now something that is really being poised 
for tremendous growth. And you might say, wow, like look at the numbers of growth it's had on a, you know, one, five and, and 10 year basis. But that growth is also, uh, you know, still in the second or third inning, we believe, of, of Bitcoin's life cycle. So even at a maybe a sticker price of around, you know, 10, 11,000 where it is today, um, that may seem expensive, but we think it really does have a lot of room to run while also being deflationary in the portfolio. One of the questions that you will you know, hear come up from time to time is Bitcoin's too risky because you know there, there's no underlying value. It's simply the next buyer's willingness to pay, and that's what determines the price. So let's let let's clarify that a bit. Why does Bitcoin appreciate? Well, I think really what the reason Bitcoin appreciates is really at the end of the day because of its value prop, right? And I've covered this a little bit earlier in the in, in the discussion, but it is a non-sovereign asset. It is truly money without borders. Um, it has deflationary attributes. Um, it is the most secure and widely distributed network um, on the planet. And I think when people start understanding, um, you know, that Bitcoin really is truly sound money, um, they understand that there is uh, really a good investment thesis around it. And given the current inflationary environment in the market, right, there is a use case for Bitcoin. Now, I do understand that there is, uh, you know, a theory that it's only w- worth uh, what someone else is willing to pay for it. Well, I'd also argue that there's a lot of other assets out there that um, that are only worth what people are willing to pay for it, right? You could say art, uh, for example, uh, gold, as we, you know, we have kind of discussed, right? There's certainly, uh, you know, certain uh, bonds or, or, or things that are issued by other corporations and items that that are, uh, you know, strapped to really what the supply and demand is, right? So, so there is that side of it, right? But I think in a world where people are starting to worry about the overall production of money, right, and Bitcoin's code and supply chain, there is value there, right? And it is the first native money of the internet, and I do think that in many ways, that is a hard concept for people to grasp, right? But as they learn more about, um, you know, these value props around Bitcoin that we've discussed, they do understand that it does truly have a value uh, in terms of a hedge um, against kind of that, you know, ain't what's becoming more of an ancient monetary policy, right? The, even, even the U.S. dollar is off the gold standard, right? It's really backed by the, the credibility and faith of the U.S. government. Um, in many ways, that is thought to be, you know, because of the U.S.'s, you know, strong military or its presence in the world or its ability to have an efficient economy. That doesn't necessarily mean that Bitcoin is going to replace the dollar or replace fiat currency, but it's going to have a place um, for investors uh, in the future. From that investor point of view, you know, is Bitcoin too volatile to have a place in an investor's portfolio? What do you say about that? Um, I I think the answer is uh, yes, but also no, right? Um, I think that with any allocation to to any kind of uh, emerging type asset, right, the way you have to think about uh, volatility is with size, right? So if you're an investor that's exploring Bitcoin or wants to have a uh, allocation to uh, a deflationary asset uh, in your portfolio, right? You're going to want to look at Bitcoin, sure, right? But but our thesis here at Galaxy is it's not just Bitcoin, 
Um, and it's not just gold, it's Bitcoin and gold, right? And they both have a spot in your portfolio. Um, Bitcoin, of course, is a little bit more volatile. So maybe you'd want to have a little bit of a smaller allocation from anywhere from, you know, 50 bips to, to 2% based on your risk tolerance. Um, and then maybe have a larger allocation of gold, right? But we don't, uh, we, we, we don't recommend that you uh, uh, have a large, a too large an allocation of Bitcoin versus other assets. Because yes, it is volatile at this stage in its life cycle. But as we've seen over time with other assets, uh, Bitcoin is certainly going to um, decrease in its volatility. And we've seen that even over the last three years. Uh, and, it, and it has um, become less volatile over time, although that sample size is small. Shifting gears a little bit, um, one of the concerns uh, that uh, that people have one, one, is related to the, the uh to the mechanics of Bitcoin. So uh, we've we've discussed in the past on Future Proof uh, what forks are. Forks happen when Bitcoin's uh, blockchain is copied and, and developed in a different direction. Um, so that happened with Bitcoin Cash, for instance. So what happens from there? Do 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 you know when a fork happens when when there's a Bitcoin Cash created? Does that affect the underlying value of an investor's holding? Of Bitcoin, so I, I think it's really important to conceptualize uh, what a fork is, right? Sure. Um, a fork itself really is when um, a group of developers or a community uh, makes a decision that uh, the use case for the current asset and the code around it um, is not really working in the way that they believe it's intended to work, right? So we've seen. Um, you know, a few major forks uh, in Bitcoin's uh, life cycle, right? We've seen uh, the Litecoin fork, we've seen the Bitcoin Cash fork, and we've seen the BSV fork, right? And a lot of those, uh, all three of those forks were really designed around the, uh, the payment usage for Bitcoin, right? That Bitcoin should be faster. It was designed to be a peer-to-peer -peer digital cash. And this narrative that it was digital gold um, really um, didn't make a lot of sense, right? But if you think more about what Bitcoin's value prop is in a portfolio, um, being digital gold is really what made a lot of sense to a lot of people. Now, I think everybody can see that through those forks, um, you know, Bitcoin did maintain its, uh, its value, right? So I don't think that you really have to worry about, um, you know, things like forks, right? Or, or people, uh, you know, using the code to try to develop something else, right? There is only one Bitcoin, there will only ever be 21 million Bitcoin and the Bitcoin code itself has not changed. Right. And it has never been hacked and it is thought to be the most secure uh, network on the planet. So in terms of the security or the mechanics around uh, Bitcoin itself, I don't think you have to worry about that. Right. A lot of these uh, other forks that we've seen, right, really are about uh, payments and they're trying to solve for uh, decentralized payments and, that really is not the Bitcoin story, which is, but they do, but the communities around those assets may have that belief. And we may see a payment coin, right? But, but Bitcoin, I think at this point uh, has, has kind of defined its value. Okay. So when a, when a fork happens, you know, if, if I'm holding Bitcoin and there was, and, and I have two Bitcoin and a fork happens tomorrow, I still have two Bitcoin the next day. And the value of my Bitcoin is not impacted by that fork? Correct. 
right? Your your Bitcoin, if you have two Bitcoin, you will have two Bitcoin. Um, and there, there may be some volatility or some, you know, some movement around uh, the fork at that time. But there's not there's not really a, a need to be concerned about the value of your asset. Got it. Okay. Just want to make sure that was perfectly clear for everybody listening. All right. So let's move on to something that you talked about a little bit before. Um, the, the, this concern about nefarious activity, you know, mm-hmm. the as you mentioned, Silk Road, you know, this idea that there's this... Uh, that there's the, the you know the dark web and this mysterious underground and and that's that's what Bitcoin is is, is there for to to allow people to do illicit things that they shouldn't be doing in the light of day. So, um, is any of that true? Does any of that happen right now? Is that a major problem? And, and, and really, most importantly, because we know that there's plenty of crime that's conducted with U.S. dollars. So. I think the real question there is, regardless of what may or may not be happening, does that affect a holder of Bitcoin in their portfolio? Well, I I think that the narrative that Bitcoin is used for nefarious activity, right, is really something that um, is is old and, and somewhat tired at this point, right? Sure, we know about you know, things like Silk Road or, or hackers or, or other things that nature demanding Bitcoin, right? But I think we need to really fast forward to where we are in, in, in 2020. And for example, uh, the Twitter hack uh, got a ton of press, right? And the, the hackers were demanding Bitcoin, um, but, but the market has become very efficient. Um, there's things like, you know, chain analysis and cipher trace to, to trace dirty Bitcoin and whatnot. But looking back at the Twitter hack, uh, the hacker there uh, thought that he could demand uh, Bitcoin and the community and, and the, the regulatory bodies and, and, and the people that are really controlling the on-ramps to Bitcoin were able to really squeeze that off, um, you know, at the past and less than, you know, $200,000 worth of Bitcoin uh, moved, which is uh, relatively small for a, a hack of Twitter. Uh, of that size with with the people uh, involved in that hack, right? So that that shows you how far it's come. The other part is that Bitcoin is um, on a open source ledger, right? So everyone is able to see um, where Bitcoin moves and where it goes. It's completely transparent. Uh, so you know, moving that Bitcoin would really be uh, just silly because you're almost leaving a public roadmap um, around uh, your Bitcoin that is being used for so-called on nefarious purposes, right? And then you look around and there's there's many currencies out there that are used. Uh, the US dollar obviously is the most used currency for um, any kind of money laundering and, and whatnot, right? So I think that if you look now to where Bitcoin has come in its life cycle, uh, the infrastructure that supports it, uh, you know, kind of the regulation and the on-ramps that are becoming more well-known to the, to the public, right? And, and where wallets are stored. Uh, it's really becoming apparent that, that Bitcoin is not only uh, secure, uh, but it's also extremely transparent, right? In a way that the world has never seen before around money and around, uh, you know, financial instruments. And I think that is really one of the things that um, the people are starting to realize, right? This is a very trackable asset and it's very much, uh, you know, used in a way that people are using as financial instrument in their portfolios. And they're not using it in a way to, you know, 
operate on the dark web or they're not using it in a way to, uh, you know, money launder or, or demand ransom or, or things of that nature. And I think that the Twitter hack was probably the uh, best way to uh, demonstrate that as it happened so recently. Got it. All right. We are just about out of time. I want to ask one last question because I think it's important. Um, you know, the, our, our topic today is about what Wall Street is getting wrong about Bitcoin. So let's let's finish up with Wall Street. Sure. Where's that sentiment going? You know, is it is the as more people are talking about Bitcoin, are more people starting to get it right? Or is that the next, you know, the, the next shift that needs to happen? Um, where, where do we stand with all that right now? Yeah, I think that as we looked at what was happening in, in 2020, especially with the you know outbreak of COVID-19, the unprecedented um, printing uh, of, of currency by the US government um, because of the CARES Act and, and other uh, stimulus needed um, and a better understanding of inflation um, and how it's going to affect us in the future. Um, and obviously just Bitcoin's overall uh, value prop as, a, as, as you know, kind of a store of value and non-sovereign. Uh, Wall Street um, is actually the most bullish uh, on Bitcoin we've ever seen, right? We're, we're seeing um, companies uh, hire a digital asset task force. We're, we're seeing um, institutional grade custody. We're seeing institutional grade analysis from, from places like Bloomberg and, and the derivatives market is exploding, right? The, 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 the CME um, futures are trading. Um, you know, at, at record levels and spot volumes are going higher, um, you know, on, on regulated exchanges that exist. Um, and, and uh, you know, so the old guard now is now figuring out that they have client demand there. They're figuring out that um, this is a uh, an asset that is going to exist in the portfolios of many of their of their large clients. Um, and they're also figuring out ways that they can use it um, to support things like their their balance sheets, right? Like MicroStrategies, a, a public company um, that exists and uh, is using it to uh, you know hedge inflation going forward, and also you know get some some yield and growth um, because they can't find it in other places uh, for their cash, right? So I think these stories will continue to grow. I think you're going to see the use case and investment uh, continue to grow, um, and I and I think that. At the end of the day, this is a financial instrument, and that is what Wall Street drives. They, they drive financial use cases, they drive financial instruments, and they're going to figure out ways to make themselves money and their clients money. Um, and, and obviously, at, at Galaxy, we want to be at the intersection of that, right? And that's what we've been working towards um, since we started this business. And we understand that uh, as, as Wall Street wakes up and the large institutional pools of capital continue to wake up, that... Um, Bitcoin's growth um, will only continue to to accelerate. Um, so, so that's really where, where we're seeing uh, right now. But we think it's really going to go uh, up by leaps and bounds, uh, you know, in the coming, uh, you know, 18 to 24 months. Paul, thank you so much. We're out of time, but this was a lot of fun. Thanks for being with me today. OK, great. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Listeners, we are back every two weeks. If you're not up to date, feel free to check the archive on Financial Advisor IQ or via your favorite podcast app. This podcast is a production of Financial Advisor IQ, a service of the Financial Times, and is brought to you by Galaxy Fund Management. My name is Jonathan Bronstein, and I produced and edited this podcast. 
Our music is written and performed by Oliver Matt. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening and have a great day.